0: Hey, this is Paul Doherty, the host of the Learning to Lead podcast. And today you're gonna hear an incredible interview with Pastor Chris Hodges. Now, let me just tell you who he is. If you don't know him, he has built a massive church in Birmingham, Alabama. Every weekend, 40,000 plus people go to church at one of their many campuses and they've helped plant more than 700 churches. He is one of the key leaders of the ARC movement, which is the association of related churches, uh, thousands of churches that are partnered together in planting more and more churches around the world. He is an incredible leader. He has written many books. He has a great Bible college in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's a leader of leaders. And so today you're going to hear what he poured into our staff and our dream team of volunteers. I did this interview with him uh, on a Sunday night and. He stayed extra in Tulsa, Oklahoma after preaching all of our weekend services. He stayed that night just to pour into our leaders. So I, I believe this is gonna bless you. We've never shared this publicly. So I'm excited for you to hear this interview with Pastor Chris Hodges on leadership. Let's get right to it. We are gonna jump right into a Q&A leadership session with Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris Hodges pastors the second largest church in America. Over 38,000 people every week come to Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Um, and then one of the cool things, that's amazing, by the way, that's huge, that's bigger than Joel Osteen's church, by the way, Um, not that there's a competition, but it's just cool, I just thought that was cool. The other cool thing, too, though, is that they have over 40,000 people in small groups, And their church is uh, succeeding greatly at not just reaching someone on a Sunday morning, but plugging them into discipleship groups, connect groups, and uh, as well as uh, just continuing to get people plugged into the church serving. How many volunteers do y'all have?
1: Uh, a little over 17,000, yeah.
0: You don't call them volunteers? No. What do they call
1: We call them the dream team.
0: The dream team.
1: Yeah. Come on, the so, dream
0: team. So there's 17,000 dream teamers. So, and
1: not just because we want them to think they're the dream, you know, the ultimate team. Um, we, we believe that, uh, that God put inside of people a charis. Did you guys know where the word charismatic comes from? The, the, the root word charis means gifted. And it doesn't mean gifted like you know like just like you have a special gift. It means a you have a divine enablement. That's literally the Greek word. So a charismatic is not somebody who really enjoys church, okay? (laughs) But that is it's okay to enjoy church. But that's not a a true charismatic is someone who has just discovered and is living out their their grace gift. And some some of the English translations the word charis is translated grace, but it's neither grace nor gift. It's it's a grace gift. It's 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 a supernatural ability from God. It's the thing, listen to it, it's the thing that you do, you have inside of you that God gave you that when you do it, it makes a difference in other people's lives. So instead of recruiting people to do something that it was my idea, we'd like to discover what God already put inside of people. So that's what we call them the dream team. We want them to connect with the, the, the God dream awesome. that God put inside of every person. So that's where, I love that's it. where, the, that's where it comes from. I yeah.
0: love it. Um, how many years have you been doing ministry now?
1: So, uh, this is my 33rd year of ministry.
0: But, tell them about just from the beginning, you weren't always senior pastor, so no. talk about those 33 years of ministry. No,
1: uh, we planted our church 15 years ago, so before that, actually, I thought I was just going to be the, I don't say, I say just, I was thrilled to be the, the best number two guy in the, in the world. I'm, in fact, I, I told God, I don't ever want to be the senior pastor of a church, I'm happy to make... Um, uh, everything that my pastor does succeeds. So I was very thrilled in that role for.
0: And what, what church were you in that role?
1: Yes, yeah, so, um, so started out, I got saved. I, I, I grew up Baptist. I've never missed a Sunday in church in my entire life. Like, like, like I have not missed a, a single Sunday in my whole life, ever. Um, yeah, it's just because my dad wouldn't let me. We, we were, uh, yeah, well, my dad played Oregon in the Baptist church. So you didn't miss. If you're throwing up, dad, like get a bag, you can throw up at church. I mean, you didn't, you're just not missing. So, so I grew up in church. I literally was in church the, the Sunday, in the nursery, the Sunday after I was born. So I mean, like literally I've never missed a Sunday in church in my life anyway. And so, um, but when I, and when I was seven, if you know the Baptist tradition, you know, I kept noticing people going toward the front at the end. So I went up at the front when I was seven years old because I didn't want to go to hell. Come on, somebody, you know. I, so I, so and in the Baptist tradition, he, the pastor will pray for you and, you and you sign a card and then they vote you in. Praise God, I got voted in, and um, and then I got baptized that night. But I didn't meet God. Um, I really, my life didn't change. I didn't have a conversion experience. I wasn't born again. And so when I was fifteen, I showed up at Bethany at the youth group there in Baton Rouge and. Um, and that's uh, got radically changed. Anyway, that's not even the question you asked.
0: No, I like <laughs> so, it, all right, so. it helps to hear your story. It so yeah,
1: story. so I was a soft between my sophomore and junior year at LSU, I was an accounting major. Uh, the church hired me for a summer just to help out with the youth stuff, go to, do all the camps and then help pull off the missions trips, so just a summer job. And man, I got bit um, by the ministry bug really badly. And so I went back from my junior year and just was miserable. And then, so, talked to my pastor and my dad, and they both felt like it was God for me to transition. So, I thought I was just gonna go to a Bible college, and the church said, well, come on, work full-time while you're, so I started at 20, while I was a full-time student working full-time in the ministry, so did that for three years. Um, And then, the the guy that I worked for was a guy named Ted Haggard, everybody, and he was my youth pastor at, at Bethany. He went and planted a church in Colorado Springs. And uh, so, Tammy and I went to Colorado Springs three years, when that church was three years old, and helped build it from a storefront to, you know, thousands of people. Came back to Bethany in 1994 in the height of the cell church movement. Um, Bethany was kind of one of the churches leading the way with, with cell, cell groups. Her dad, Billy Hornsby, was leading that effort and, uh, at Bethany. And so, we just wanted to be back home. So, in 1994, we came back home. So, three years in Baton Rouge seven years in Colorado, seven years back in Baton Rouge, then planted the church in Birmingham, been there 15 years. So that's, that's the journey. Yeah. And
0: when you were with Pastor Larry, you were his number two man from 94 to 2001.
1: Yeah. So I would preach when he was out of the pulpit and, and I led, we had, there were five district pastors. We had our whole city um, divided into geographical districts and we did we called them cell groups, but they were, you know, small groups in those. So I, I had one fifth of Baton Rouge I was responsible for, too.
0: You know, one of the things that I think just stands out to me is every season prepares you for the next season. 100%. Um, so while you were there, you were learning cell groups and no, getting, exactly. a, getting a strategy for Highlands one day, having 40,000, 42,000 people in small groups yep. um, and how that would work. Talk a little bit about, like, just the development season for where you are now, what kind of helped prepare you for this role during those years? Yeah, the
1: best part about my home church is the intense, and it's like this church, by the way, the intense focus on the Great Commission. So, I kept thinking, I have a business mind. So, I actually actually went back, um, when I was in Colorado, they offered to f- pay my my tuition if I would finish my business degree. So, actually, while I was full-time on staff in Colorado, I actually finished uh, my business degree. Wow. So. Um, yeah, so, and honestly, I kind of see things through the lens of, let's don't just have a vision, let's get, let's get it done. Like, we got to figure out a way to accomplish the vision. Business. So I, yeah, the business side really helped me. So I see everything through the lens of, uh, you don't measure it whether you like it or not, you measure it if it works. Can I get a better amen? Somebody like, right? So <laughs> the genius is not whether you like it, the genius is if it's working. So there were a few things, if I could be very honest, that just absolutely weren't working that I knew were a part of the Great Commission. Basically, the Great Commission is four things. Okay, so basic, you can say it, I could probably say it to you at least seven different ways, but it has four components. That is, get lost people saved, pastor those people who get saved, like help them, because they they get saved, they don't get rid of all their issues, right, everybody? Like, because people got issues, you got issues, I got issues, all God's children got issues, right? If you don't think you have an issue, well, that's your issue, all right, so. Because <laughs> you got them, all right, so, so. But so there's a pastoral, there's a salvation component, evangelism, some call it. There's a, there's a pastoral component. There's a discipleship component. They're learning something. And that learning something, by the way, isn't learning anything. It's learning the thing that God put in, it's finding that charis. It's so like when you go to school, you don't learn every topic. You learn the one that you're good at. But why do you go to school? to get out and get a job. See, one of the problems with the church is is that we're in perpetual discipleship mode with no desire for it to have a job at the end. We think discipleship is just learning the Bible. No, it's not. Discipleship is finding the unique gift that God gave you, developing it, then graduate, go do something, okay? Which is the fourth component. So get saved, get pastored, get trained or discipled, whatever word you like, and then go make a difference. Go do, be sent. There's a sending component. Yeah. That is the great commission. Yeah. Okay, so now check this out. I want you guys, you're the, you're the core leaders of this church. You need to hear this. Then we need to look at our church and say, are those four things happening? And if they're not, you change it until it is. Because this isn't a great suggestion. <laughs> this is a great commission.
0: Yeah.
1: We're, we're kind of, God says, like, I'm not giving you a choice. I'm not asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to do it. Yeah. And so there were a few components that we were just really good at. At Bethany, we were very good at that second component. We had almost the whole church there in, in, in cell groups. So we, we, were, we were pastoring people well, helping people through their issues, praying for people. We, that was going on. We had a pretty good training component. I think it was a fairly decent sending component, almost a non-existent, Evangelistic component. I mean, it, there were seasons that had spurts, but by and large, there really were. We really weren't seeing a lot of a, a lot of conversion growth. And honestly, I just got real. I I, I don't know a better word to say than that I just got I, got. I was provoked by the Holy Spirit to like go figure this out. That can can we be spirit filled and see a lot of lost people get saved? And honestly, it got jealous of the. And I'm not trying to be ugly of the by branding certain brands of Christianity, but I got jealous of the non-spirit-filled Christians. Because a bunch of them were like figuring out ways to get a lot of lost people saved, and, and we weren't. <laughs> and it bothered me. And so we went to Birmingham asking the question, can we build a church that does all four things? With a lot of, lost, lot of lost people getting saved. You're really pastoring those, those, those people that get saved. You have a successful discipleship component that helps people discover and develop their charis, their charis gift. And then deploying people, the dream team, into changing the world in the area that they love.
0: That's really and good. And so we
1: measure ourselves on that constantly. That's what that business world really has really taught me. Yeah. Uh, to do. Yeah.
0: I would love for you to just talk about what, what, def- what how would you define a leader in the church in your world? Uh, what makes someone stand out? Say.
1: Yeah. So. It's a leader. So. Um, the leader. The word leader can scare a lot of people off, so we are even even careful whether we use it in all places. Not because the word's not true, it's because what people's perceptions of the word is. They think a leader is that they have extreme Bible knowledge. They're they're they have a, a choleric personality. They're kind of it's not true at all. A leader is simply this and that is they're an influencer. That's it. Yeah, you influence someone else. So the guy on the camera is a leader because he's using his gift to influence all of us so that people can see something on a screen. Like he's, so he's an, he, he's, he's a leader, but you, would, you wouldn't say, well, he's the leader in the room right now, you wouldn't think of him that way, but a leader is an influencer. I would add, in the Christian world, I would add one more component, and that is you're someone who's influencing for eternity's sake. So the people in the nursery are doing that, the people, so to us, the leader is anyone who has found that place to serve, yeah. And that serving makes a difference in other people's lives. That's what a leader is.
0: You guys, yeah. and yeah, No, that's really good. And I think what would help too is just communicating to all of us in this room um, when you bring someone to Christ, a lost person gets saved, that step of getting them from just being a church attender to being part of the dream team, yeah. which I would call anyone on your dream team a leader, just because that in my mind yeah. is someone who's serving and influencing others in the church. I'm saying that's a leader. Um, How does that process look? How do you get them to move in that way?
1: So from Exodus to at least Colossians, I can show you about a dozen places in Scripture where God has always had a four-step process for people's spiritual journey. And it matches the Great Commission. And that is, and, and by the way, I wrote a book, I wrote a book, I'm not trying to sell the book, I'm just, I wrote a book called Four Cups because this process is in the Passover Seder. So in a Passover Seder, um, they, they drink four cups of wine at the Passover Seder, and, it, and the Jewish people do, and as they do it, they're reading Exodus chapter six, verses six and seven. And these are the four things, and it's four things, and so each phrase corresponds to one of those cups, and it's the Great Commission. It's, it is this spiritual journey. And, and, and that is, the first thing is that God wanted to get us out, in, in, in Exodus is get you out of the, the bondage of Egypt. We know, as Christians, we know that's salvation, that God's first step for every person Is
0: salvation,
1: salvation, for you to, to experience God in a powerful way and get free from the bondage of your sins. The second, and by the way, the Jewish people call the first cup the cup of sanctification, which means to separate you, to get you out of Egypt, to separate you from sin, okay. The second one, this will shock you, the second cup of wine that the Jewish people drink is called, drum roll, here we go, the cup of deliverance. Yeah, Jewish people. Got a little deliverance going on there, y'all. You know, the cup of, it's called, and they read this part of the verse. And I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, wait a minute. I thought we were already out of Egypt. Yeah, because you can be out of Egypt and there's still some Egypt all up inside of you. Yeah. You can be a Christian and still be kicking your dog and cussing and, right, have some, have some issues, right? And so there's a deliverance component. Never try to make a person a leader, Without settling their deliverance issues, wow. never, never, never help, ne- never, n- never take people on that spiritual journey and skip cup two. Of helping people settle yesterday once and for all. In fact, Pastor Paul, they can't even see tomorrow, their leadership potential until you help them settle their yesterday. So you have to walk people through the cup of deliverance, and for us, that's that's what our small groups help us to do. Okay, and then and then it says the third cup. The Jewish people call it the cup of redemption. And, 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 the, and the cup of redemption, to redeem something means to put it back to its original intent. Now, remember what they were doing in Egypt? They were, they were making bricks and, and mud pits. Now, was that what God called them to do? No, so what was it? I don't know, let's go find it. See, that's that discipleship component, that every person, the third step in their journey is, get them saved, get them healed, delivered, then help them find what they were called to do. Like, help them find that karis. And then finally, the last cup, the fourth cup in the Jewish Seder is called the cup of praise. And that's because they've had four cups of wine. No, I'm just kidding. Hey! No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, that's just, that's just just a little Jewish joke there, okay? Sorry. But, uh, yeah, by the time you get to that fourth one, you're hallelujah and all over the place. Anyway, so, so and and they actually call it the Hallel where we get the word hallelujah but you ready for this hallelujah to them is not music hallelujah to them is the condition of your soul to live a Hallel life means you're living fulfilled because you're doing something that's making a difference so that so so if you're going to develop a leader pastor Paul you have to help them find God first then you got to get them healed don't skip that step and then you need to take them on a process where they discover discover their redemptive gift so that they can live a hallelujah life of the cup of praise because they're they're doing something with their life that's making a difference. That's
0: good, that's really that's, good.
1: That's, and that's covered, That's, that's the, whole, the whole Bible, God has that plan.
0: Wow, what a powerful interview with Pastor Chris. Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure to tune in for part two of this interview that we'll be uploading next week. Hey, we love you so much. Stay in touch with us. Send us an email. You can connect with me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, It's just my name, Paul Doherty, on each of those. And I'd love to connect with you on social media. I'd love to find out what lessons of leadership you're learning and that you'd like me to talk about or uh, questions you have that you'd like me to answer. All right. Look forward to connecting with you. God bless.